0: We come to the word this morning. Let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you this morning for your word. Your word that is truth. The truth. Not a truth, not partly truth, but entirely the truth. The very real truth. As we come to it this morning, as we come to hear what you say in it, we ask that you will help us. For Lord, we are but humble sinners. But Lord, we know that by the power of your Spirit, you will illumine our hearts and our minds that we might see clearly all that you have to teach us. So help us and be with us this morning as we come to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We come to Ruth chapter 2 this morning. We need to take a few moments to review what's been going on, to look back at what's been happening so far. The first week we, we did a a lot of setting the scene for the Book of Ruth. You may recall that it takes place during the time when the judges judged. that time when in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. For the most part, they did not follow the ways of the world, uh, the ways of the Lord. They rather followed the ways of the world. They got caught up with the idols of the nations around them. They got, up, got caught up with the desires of their own hearts. And again and again they turned away from God. And Ruth takes place during this time. A time of uh, judgment from God, oftentimes. And a time that was filled with great suffering for many. And we see that as we come to the book of Ruth. Naomi had left Bethlehem, the house of bread, with her husband and her two sons. They went to the land of Moab, did not worship God. And there, even though they had food to eat, her husband and her two sons died. And she and her her daughters-in-law were without their husbands. They were weak and helpless, and particularly in Naomi's case, she thought she was without hope. Last week, we looked at the three women involved here and their perspectives on their suffering. Naomi, who became bitter, Orpah, who ended up focusing on herself herself. Her own self preservation. And then Ruth, who was filled with that faithfulness, that chesed, that must have been given to her by God Himself. For in the midst of her suffering, she remained loyal to her mother in law, but more importantly, she became loyal to the one true God. The God who does show covenant love and faithfulness. In our passage this morning, we we see progression for Naomi in particular. See, in this passage, in chapter 2, we encounter a refuge from the Lord. Before we dig into the meat of this, I'd like to read the words of the first two verses of an old hymn. It's written by a woman named Ann Steele. She lived in the uh, 1700s. She was the daughter of a part-time pastor. At the age of 19, she was severely injured in an accident and became an invalid. At the age of 21, she was engaged to be married, and on her very wedding day, her husband drowned. She ended up publishing more than 200 hymns and poems. And this particular hymn is one that reflects on the Lord who is our refuge. The first two verses say this. Dear refuge of my weary soul, on thee when sorrows rise, on thee when waves of trouble roll, my fainting hope relies. To thee I tell each rising grief, For thou alone canst heal. Thy word can bring a sweet relief For every pain I feel. But oh, when gloomy doubts prevail, I fear to call thee mine. The springs of comfort seem to fail And all my hopes decline. Yet, gracious God, Where shall I flee? Thou art my only trust, and still my soul would cling to thee, though prostrate in the dust. As we come to our passage this morning, I can see by the end of it, Naomi saying or even singing these words. As that that second verse said, she was at this point where she was filled with gloomy doubts. They were prevailing, it seemed hopeless. But the Lord showed himself to her. We start off with a dangerous situation As Naomi and Ruth have come back to Bethlehem, they're not able to get a job. In those days, most people, they either had their own fields or they would go and work in someone else's field, but it was the men who would generally go and work in someone else's field as a job. And in those days, throughout most of the ancient world, there was no welfare system, as I mentioned a few weeks ago. There was one exception. And it was an exception that God himself gave to the Israelites. They were called the gleaning laws. You can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 24, where we're told about this. This is exactly what... What Naomi and Ruth seek to do It's Deuteronomy chapter 24. For those of you who have been following following along with the insert I've been giving you the last few weeks, this is the, the second passage that I had for you to read during the week. Deuteronomy 24, starting at verse 19. It says, When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. basic idea here was that the orphans and the widows had no normal way to be able to support themselves in these ancient cultures. But the Lord wanted to make sure that the Israelites cared for those who were considered to be the weak or who were considered to be the helpless or in whatever other ways the world would not care for. God values people, doesn't he? even those whom society sees as, as weak or less or helpless, the Lord cares for people and values people. And so he, created the, he's, he gave the Israelites these laws where as they were harvesting the, the grains or the olives or other produce in their fields, they were to go and make only one pass over their fields. I don't know if you've ever harvested anything before, whether it be grain or apples or zucchini. Zucchini is one I remember doing well. I used to work for my grandparents in their large market gardens. And when you have these giant rows of zucchini with the big leaves, when you go through the first time, there end up being quite a few zucchini that you miss. No matter how good you are at doing it, you always miss some. Well, for the ancient Israelites, God commanded them that when they missed something the first time, they were not allowed to go back a second time. They were to leave whatever they missed. Not only that, it was generally commanded and generally considered that they were also supposed to leave the edges of their fields untouched. So that any widows or any orphans in their community would be able to go and be able to get the food that they needed to support themselves. Now unfortunately, the ancient Israelites oftentimes did not follow these laws. They ignored them over and over and again. In fact, it's one of the reasons why, or the many reasons why, God sent the Israelites into exile many years later. We hear it about it in, in Isaiah 1 where we're told your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. God considered it thievery to take what he had set aside for the widows and the orphans. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless and the widow's cause do not come to them. And later in Isaiah 10, he says, Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right. That widows may have their spoil and that, they, that widows may be their spoil." that they may make the fatherless their prey. See, all too often the Israelites were like the rest of the world. Instead of caring for and helping the orphans and the widows among them, they took advantage of them. Instead of giving them the opportunity to harvest in their fields for their own food, They would see the widows and orphans that would come to do so. When they would leave at the end of the day, they would take their grain from them. Sometimes they wouldn't allow them to even come on their field. Or they would have their own servants harvest every single piece of grain so there would be no chance for the fatherless or the widow to have anything of their own. And Naomi in all that she's been through would not have been surprised if Ruth had gone out into one of the fields that first day and there was either no grain to harvest or no one would allow her into the field. See for her it was even worse for Ruth it was even worse because not only was she a widow but she was a foreigner a Moabite. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, she is one of those women who, as far as the Israelites are concerned, all she's going to do is try to leave, lead God's people astray, lead them to worship false gods. And so they would have looked down upon her, disparaged her, had nothing to do with her. They would not have wanted her in their fields. Making matters worse. It was common in the ancient world, especially, not just widows, but especially with foreigners. Even worse because she's a Moabite. That the workers would try to take advantage or abuse a foreigner who came into the fields. Naomi makes this clear in verse 22 of our passage when she says, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his, Boaz's young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. See Naomi knew the danger Ruth was going into, I suspect Ruth did as well. For a young widow, and particularly one from a foreign land, going to glean in the fields was a dangerous thing. She was taking her safety into her hands, risking it all to be able to provide for herself and her mother-in-law. But as you see here in Ruth chapter 2, God in his providence provides for them. God provides for them. The beginning of our passage in verse 3 I'm not going to read exactly this written. I'll, I'll read it a slightly different way. It says, By chance, she chanced upon the portion of the fields belonging to Boaz. Boaz has, already, has just been introduced. He is a relative. The Hebrew words it, By chance, she chanced upon the portion of the fields that belonged to Boaz. You see, she didn't know which fields belonged to him. And she just happened to go out into that field. Now, do you think the author of Ruth believed in chance? As we look to Scripture, how often do we see things happening by chance? Does that happen very often? No. In fact, I don't think we see anything in a Scripture happening by chance. The author of Ruth knows this. He or she knows that God is in the midst of it. and He says it's happening by chance to draw our attention to that, to shock us, to make us aware of what's going on. Just so happened. And perhaps from Ruth's perspective, and maybe even Naomi's perspective at this point, it does seem like it's happening by chance. So she comes to this field owned by Boaz, and something else happens, seemingly by chance as we're told in this passage. Boaz just happened to come into town that day, just happened to come into town. The way it's worded indicates that he didn't normally come into town. He probably stayed at his house doing other business there. But this particular day, he happened to come into town. As he's there, he hears about this woman, Ruth. He tells his people, his servants, to provide for her and protect her. To keep her safe. To make sure that she has enough to eat. You see this Boaz? We're told was a worthy man. It's the same word that's used uh, in the time of David and elsewhere. Of the mighty men of valor. You've all heard that before, right? David had his mighty men of val- Valor. We hear of these great warriors and their many deeds that they did. Well, that's the, the same term used here of Boaz, but we're not talking about a great warrior here. Instead, we see before us a man of extraordinary character who does look with care upon the widow and the orphan. To those who need assistance, who, to those whom the world has cast aside or looks down upon or rejects, he sees Ruth and Naomi. He doesn't take pity on them. Rather, he seeks to care for them. And help them. Excuse me. When you look at the things that he does in verse 8 and 9, we're told that he provides protection for Ruth. Remember, I mentioned that for a woman, particularly a foreign woman, to go out in the fields on her own, she was at risk of being assaulted by the servants. And Boaz says in no uncertain terms that she is to be left alone and protected. Not only are they not to touch her, but they are to make sure that no one else touches her. Verse 14, he calls her into his own tent and provides a meal for her. This is not the normal way that things were done he goes above and beyond not only that but he sends her home with the leftovers so that when she goes home at the end of that long day of gleaning in the field which by the way gleaning was a lot harder than regular harvesting regular harvesting it's all right there you just go and cut it and gather it up but when you're gleaning it's a couple of sheaves here a couple of sheaves there it's a hard day of work When she went home that night, she didn't have to go and prepare an entirely new meal because she had the food left over from lunch that Boaz gave her. And then even more, in verse 15 and 16, Boaz goes out of his way to tell his servants, don't be as careful in the fields as you normally are. Leave a little extra for Ruth. Make her job a little easier today and from now on. Because she needs our help. Let's care for her and help her. Why does really does Boaz do all of this? We're told in verses 11 and 12... All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. See, he sees in Ruth chesed. Covenant, love, and faithfulness. He's seeing the the chesed of God reflected in her. He honors that. And he is showing it in return himself. And of course, as she is as she hears this, she is simply amazed, isn't she? She cannot believe that an Israelite man would have such consideration for her, would show her such kindness, would show her such care. It was unheard of in those days. Now as Naomi reflects on this, she states that Boaz is one of their redeemers. It's an important term, and it's one that I'm going to get to in a couple of weeks. It comes up again in our next chapter. I don't want to talk about it in depth today, because there's a lot to it. But I'll say this. Boaz, as their redeemer, points us ahead to Jesus Christ. Like I said, we'll talk about that in depth in a few weeks. He is one of the people who can, more than anybody else, help them. Just as Jesus is the one who, above all, can help us. <laughs> One note I want to make here is that as we look at the time frame of what's going on, Ruth goes into his field for two different harvests, the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. This would have been roughly by our calendar from late April until early June, six or seven weeks. There's two full harvests for Boaz. And he goes out of the way to make sure that his people gather less. There is cost for himself here. He is caring for Ruth and Naomi at cost to himself. He is sacrificing. So now I want us to move ahead and, and look at our refuge, you see, Boaz has been a, is starting to be a refuge for Naomi and for Ruth. But we have a refuge too, don't we? As Naomi reflects on what Boaz is doing for them, she says this in verse 20: May Boaz be blessed. By the Lord. going to word it slightly different here. The Lord whose chesed, whose kindness, whose covenant love and faithfulness has not forsaken the living or the dead. In past weeks we've seen how Naomi is stuck in her bitterness, is accusing God, really wants nothing to do with him, does not really believe that he is good anymore. But God has made himself known. You see, she's not trusting at this point in Boaz as her provider, as Boaz as her refuge. Rather, she finally sees the Lord our God once again. Through Boaz, she is able to see the providential hand of God at work. In her suffering, she knew that God's hand was involved. We looked at that last week. It's all throughout the way she talks in chapter 1. The Lord has done this to me. Well, now as these things happen by chance, seemingly, she realizes God is still working. That in the midst of her suffering, God is on the move. That God is working out something good for her and her daughter-in-law. And so she says, may Boaz be blessed. Not really because of what he has done, but because of the Lord and what the Lord is doing. And because of who the Lord is, that he is this God of covenant love and faithfulness. And you see, for each of us, we have these times when we suffer. We have these times where we become bitter. We have these times where we get lost in our sin and we grasp onto it. But we have a God who is our refuge in the midst of all of it. We have a God whose hand is at work when we suffer, when we sin. And at great cost to Him, He provided salvation for us. He provided a hope for us, You see, the Lord God, the maker of heaven and earth, the one true king of all things, did not say, you have sinned. Therefore, because you have sinned, you must come and repay everything to me right now. Well, in a sense, he has said that. But he knows that we can't come and do it, doesn't he? He knows that there is nothing that we can do to repay Him for the ways we have rebelled against Him. He knows that on our own, there is no way for us to overcome our sin and temptations. That there is no way for us to have hope in the midst of suffering. And so the Maker of heaven and earth provided what was needed for us. He sent his Son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, right? That he sent his one and only Son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Isn't that a glorious truth? That God took care of it for us. And he tells us to come. To come without money. To come without good works. To come without reputation. To come in the midst of our struggles, our sins, our sorrows, our sufferings. That he will provide the cost. That he has provided the cost. That his love, in his love for his people, he has saved us and given us refuge. As we finish here, I want to read the last two verses of that hymn I read earlier. Hast thou not bid me seek thy face? Shall I seek in vain? And can the ear of sovereign grace be deaf when I complain? No, still the ear of sovereign grace attends the mourner's prayer. Oh, may I ever find access to breathe my sorrows there. Thy mercy seat is open still. Here, let my soul retreat. With humble hope, attend thy will and wait beneath thy feet. Thy mercy seat is open still. Here, let my soul retreat. With humble hope, attend thy will and wait beneath thy feet. Lord God, We thank you this morning that you have provided refuge for our weary souls. Refuge from our sin and temptations. Refuge from our sufferings and our sorrows. That we can come before your mercy seat. That we can bow before your feet, before the throne of God above that we can enter your presence because of Jesus. So, Lord, we ask that you help us in the midst of all our worldly cares and struggles and temptations to come before you, to trust the Lord Jesus, and to seek the Holy Spirit for comfort and help.